Please be advised that this episode may contain strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to What the Forks, a podcast in which we revisit a teenage obsession, Stephanie Meyer's Twilight Saga. We're still finding out if our love for this series will shine eternal or crumble to ash under very close inspection. I'm Chloe. And I'm Isaac. And in this episode, we're talking about chapter 12 of the novel Life and Death, Twilight Cleaned my room this morning, changed my bed sheets, made myself look presentable for you, all to avoid the fact that I'm very sexually frustrated. And did it work? It's worked really well because I haven't brought it up. (laughs) (laughs) When you say frustrated. Mm, Frustrated that I can't go out and get me some. You cannot bring in the men's like Like you Like I always used to do. (laughs) I'm fine. But you're being responsible by not. I am being responsible by not. I'm not going to let myself down. I've been so good during this pandemic. I haven't left the house. Exactly. I will not let a man in. I will not let a man in. I will not. (laughs) Keep it in your pants. Keep it in the house. It didn't help that last night our fit neighbour had a woman over for the first time in two months. And we saw them have sex. It was not fair. Wow. I don't know what the legalities are of just watching your neighbours through a window. Um, I don't know what the legalities are of not closing your blinds. If you're going to press someone against the wall and fuck them. Chloe, I've got to be honest, I've got very little memory of this chapter. I understand why. I don't think this chapter is at all necessary. In fact, I think it's a waste of trees, a waste of words, and a waste of everybody's time, including Maya herself. So, uh, with that in mind, the plot of chapter 12, Balancing. So Charlie greets Bonnie and Jules into the Swan residence. Bo just watches as Charlie and Jules help get Bonnie in her wheelchair into the house. Bo is avoiding Bonnie and goes to the kitchen to make dinner. Jules comes into the kitchen to ask who drove Bo home as her mother was acting strange and she wanted to know why. When Jules finds out that it was Edith driving Bo home, she says that this is the first time Charlie and Bonnie have seen each other since their argument about the Cullens. And then once Bonnie and Jules leave, Charlie takes a real interest in Bo's day and it's rather lovely. The next day, Friday, Edith picks Bo up before school. At lunch, Edith tells Bo she's leaving for the rest of the day to go hunting with Archie so she is fully prepared for their day alone together. Edith leaves and Bo goes to his classes. In gym, Michaela asks if Bo is now going to the spring dance with Edith. They get into another argument. It's the end of the school day and the truck is returned to Bo so he can drive himself home. At night, Bo takes some cold medicine to help him sleep. The next morning, which is a Saturday, Edith arrives and they drive in Bo's truck to a forest trail. After the hike, which takes most of the morning, they finally arrive to a clearing where Edith prepares to show Bo what she really looks like in the sun. I'm going to spend this whole episode now thinking about your your statement that this chapter is not necessary. Yeah. Based just on that plot, it sounds like the end of the chapter might be necessary, but really we're just finding a way to get through Thursday and Friday. Yeah, you could literally just... We all want to get to Saturday. We all want them to get alone and to see what she looks like in the sun. Like, why can't you just take us there? Why do we have to have this? You've really 
gained a new catchphrase this season of the podcast, <laughs> which is lazy writing. Yeah. I would argue that this is an example not of lazy writing, but of where unskilled writing creates more work for yourself. Agreed. <laughs> Unnecessary effort. So we have this interaction with Bonnie, Jules, Charlie and Beau. Charlie makes a comment that he will just ignore the fact that Jules was driving the car as she is a minor. However, Bonnie makes a very good comment. How else? Am I going to go? <laughs> I mean, it's fair. It's fair. I know it's Charlie's job to <laughs> enforce the law. Yeah. And Jules at 14, 15 should not be driving a car. No. However, I take it that Bonnie and Jules do not have the money to modify a vehicle so that Bonnie can drive. And also, Charlie hasn't apparently spoken to his best friend for... I mean, how long? A couple of months, maybe? So what? Unless he was going to make the effort to go over to La Push, which he hasn't in this time, what were they meant to do? It's a good point. Thank you. How do you feel about Bo just watching Charlie and Jules? I don't have a problem with it, to be honest. No, I do. What's your alternative? That he would help? I would help. I don't have a problem with it because if he were to go over and try and help, knowing that Bo is a real klutz, he probably wouldn't be much help and it would just come across as big tall man tries to help perfectly capable women. I think there's an element of, look, I know how to do this, let me do it. Mm. I had a different problem, and it's with Charlie calling Jules young lady, and I don't know why that... Why does that bother you? Well, probably only because I was looking at Twilight simultaneously, and that same line, he just says, I'm going to pretend I didn't see you behind the wheel, Jake. But instead of saying Jules, he says young lady, which feels... A little patronising? Yeah, just a little patronising. Jules calls Bonnie a superstitious old bat. I know, and it's like, last time you called her an old bag, this time she's calling her an old bat. (laughs) Poor Bonnie can't catch a break. Paired with what I just said, the equivalent line is superstitious old man. Yeah, and it just sounds very harsh when it's said... I mean, it's her daughter. It's not nice, but she's allowed. She's family. We get their love, I think, is communicated. But it's a choice, isn't it? Rather than just superstitious old woman. The only other thing I have underlined here, and I don't know how you feel about it, it's the exact same wording as Twilight, but for some reason it rings a little differently here when Jules says about Bonnie, I think Charlie chewed her out pretty good last time. Yeah, he did. Yes, he did. This is not helping me. I'd love Charlie to chew me out. Did uh, had you noticed that? Had you picked I up on that? I hadn't. No. no. Oh, oh? It's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so glad you brought it to my attention. I just thought it was a lovely moment once Bonnie and Jules left, and Charlie took some real interest in Bo, and he was like, "Oh, really sorry that I didn't, you know, have time with you tonight. How are you, basically?" Yeah. Because he's making an effort and he's being lied to, and he's he doesn't know what's going on. It's all happening behind his back, and he he doesn't know what to do yeah so then we have the next day friday and edith picks up Bo and continues her kind of questionnaire and there's just this moment where edith is genuinely surprised Bo doesn't have a romantic history why is that surprising well i think we're supposed to understand that Bo is hot and tall and for some people those are the same thing yeah to be honest yeah I really like Archie's little interaction with Bo and Edith here when he arrives at the lunch table. I really like. In fact, I love that he scares Bo a little bit. 
just by it's very clear that he's a vampire. I'm like, finally, you get it? You get it now. It's an eternal problem for this saga, but the people of Forks are all stupid to have not noticed. Very stupid. But yeah, I like that little interaction and what his looks like. And it's quite menacing for Archie, who is obviously the Alice equivalent. Do you know why I think he finds Archie most menacing though? Because he is taller than he thought he was. Exactly. And Bo measures the whole world based (laughs) on his height. Yes, he does. So can we go to the gym class? Is that okay? Yeah. I don't have a lot to say, but I'm just like, oh, why, like, why do Michaela and Bo always need to argue over Edith? Why is this a thing? Yeah, it's mostly just why. Why engage in this nonsense? He said, I carefully explained that I'd cancelled the trip due to truck issues. That's when she asks about him going to Seattle. He's telling her this the day before the dance that she invited him to and he said no. What? Like, he's not going to tell anyone anything that happens on Saturday with Edith because it's all vampire related so why not just let everyone believe that he went to Seattle would it be that hard to just be like I went to Seattle got a book it was called 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea 2 <laughs> they are not going to know the difference it's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea but it's gender reversed so all the characters are now female <laughs> including the sea monster <laughs> it's just sometimes The truth is not necessary. Yeah. Michaela's like, is Edith helping you study? And Bo says, I could hear the quotation marks she put around the last words. So he's like, I can tell that when she says study, she doesn't mean study. And his response to that is, don't I wish. Ooh, I didn't even think of that. That is salty AF. Interesting. See, I told you there's a lot of sexual undertones in this chapter. But then she's happy to learn that he's not going to be studying with Edith. And she's like, why don't you come to the dance then? We'd all dance with you. But then he's like, I'm not going to the dance, Michaela, okay? And she's like, fine. I was just offering. It gets really emo. I'm not going to the dance, Michaela. God! You know when you don't really understand your past self? <laughs> I'm just looking through the book, my notes, and oh, I see. next to the line, absolutely, Dad, besides the freezer is getting dangerously low on fish, we're down to a two, maybe three years supply. I've just written, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. No, so it's the bit that comes right after. The bit that sounds like it's from like a ridiculous old TV set. I don't know. Charlie smiles and goes, you're sure easy to live with, Bo. <laughs> I could say the same thing about you. Dad. And they both laugh. Happy days. He's a sneaky 17-year-old vampire lover and he's the chief of police. Together they are Chief Swan and Son. Wednesday nights at seven. <laughs> okay, so my next point. We didn't like it in Twilight. We still hate it now. Bo takes some cold medicine to help him sleep. Now, I've got a lot of things to say about the wording. So he says, I deliberately took unnecessary, so he knows, cold medicine, the kind that knocked me out for a good eight hours. But don't worry, everybody, because he knows it's not the most responsible thing to do. Then why do it? He even calls it his drug abuse the next morning. I know. Back in Twilight, we chatted about this when we were talking about Bella's unstable disposition um, and her general state of mind. And this was kind of evidence of that, along with not eating. And Bo is showing all of those behaviours. He's not being as 
dramatic with his... Oh, maybe shouldn't use the word dramatic. But you know what I mean? He's not being as emotive in his language. No. But I do wonder here, when Bella did it, we were like, she's going through some kind of trauma. And we're not really having the same reaction to Bo. No. And I wonder if that's to do with gender or not. There are worse things than taking cold medicine yeah this is where it starts though then we get to saturday the 19th of march 2005 the day of the dance yeah the day of the dance where edith arrives and they're wearing the same outfit twinsies twinsies this happened in twilight as well though didn't it yes except edward was wearing a collared shirt (laughs) and edith is wearing a t-shirt underneath a light tan sweater with a scoop neck now a scoop neck yeah sweater mm. with a regular neck t-shirt on underneath yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> okay good yeah. like i'm no expert but i was I trying to work I was like, that oh, out i like a good scoop neck but then i wouldn't have a top underneath it we learn later that it's actually a tank top yes my biggest note that i have of all of this chapter Bo's description of edith yeah yeah so when they arrive finally at the forest trail she takes her scooped neck tan sweater off it says all she had on was a thin tank top that's it her jeans were also removed (laughs) (laughs) so can i go through this with you is that okay please do i made quite a lot of notes about this i got a bit annoyed So we start the description after she's taken everything off (laughs) is the delicate shapes of her shoulder blades almost like furled wings under her pale skin. Now this is great imagery. I was like, ooh, this is exciting. I'm ready. This is a really nice description. As much as I hated it in Twilight, if we're going to eventually get to some kind of awkward angel metaphor, it's nice to be peppering in some stuff here for us. Exactly. I kind of like that. A fallen angel. I really like this idea. But then it's ruined by the very next line with her arms were so thin. So thin! It was hard to believe they contained the strength that I knew was in them. Why her arms gotta be thin? It drives me... Why can't they be shapely? Why can't they be muscular? So thin. So thin. So she has, let's list them, shall we? She has slim shoulders, fragile looking twigs of her collarbones, the vulnerable hollows above them, the swan-like column of her neck, the gentle swell of her breasts, and the ribs I could nearly count under the thin cotton. It makes me so, so mad that the adjectives are slim, fragile, vulnerable, twig. Even gentle. It's just this description makes it sound as though Edith is anorexic. She is this stick-like figure that he perceives because he says perfection. He says she was perfect. Yeah, too perfect, in fact. Oh, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, it's really annoying as well because this is an amazing opportunity for a female writer to have this really strong female vampire character. You've gone ahead and you small, thin, twig, stick, whatever, when really she could have been like curvy and voluptuous. I understand that she's trying to create a juxtaposition between the superhuman strength and the vulnerable looking body, but we don't have that from our male vampires and we didn't have it in twilight and it's just reading this i would not think this was written by a female author no i wouldn't either because it is so fixated on feminine fragility as attractive and then her strength 
is what is unusual. Edward was described as a Greek Adonis. You know, Edith could have been a pre-Raphaelite painting, you know, with the curves and the beauty. You can see her ribs! You can count every rib! That's when I started to go, whoa. Yeah, and the twigs of her collarbone? I do want to say there is nothing wrong with this body type. There is nothing wrong with women who look like this and being beautiful so long as you know that you are healthy and as long as you're not pushing yourself to achieve this in an unhealthy way. It's the description of this type of body as fragile and the way that that is synonymous with perfect and beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's my problem. Throughout this saga... Where are the beautiful fat people? Yes! It's such a shame because there's so many good parts of this gender reversal that I've really enjoyed. But then to just bring it down to this, if I had been 14 and this had been the first edition, it's just a, yeah, of course that's what she looks like. And it's so sad. It's boring. Yeah, it is. But also disheartening and it's just not... Who is this helping? Yeah. Who is this serving? Oh, but yeah, that's that's me done, really. Oh, no, I was literally about to say, please don't tell me that that's how we're ending this because I've got nothing else. Okay, so he's not staring at her boobs. Amazing. And then, you know, they reach the clearing where we know we're going to get the meadow. And, you know, she's hesitant and he looks at her and he's like, don't worry, take my hand. Fuck off. She's not worried about you. He thinks that she's about to, like, turn to dust or something. Take my hand. I'm not worried. Yeah, you shouldn't be. Listen, babe, whatever else happens, whatever we experience today together in this meadow, just remember, I'm tall. And I was not staring at your boobs. So, tell me what's the worst part of this chapter. Uh, well, I feel like now I want to see the description of Edith, and I think that's probably the true answer. Is that yours? <laughs> yes. What had you written, though? Because uh, that's actually the true answer. <laughs> I'd written, I'm bored. <laughs> Yeah, it's an unnecessary chapter. Because ultimately, if your goal is to write a novel, even if it's offensive, let me not be bored. Yeah, well, absolutely. This is both offensive and boring. Do you have anything to add about Edith's physique? No. No, but no. it's just the worst bit. I think everyone could see that coming. Tell yeah. me about your best bit. Um, Charlie being a pretty caring dad, I think. Props to Charlie. Oh. What's your best bit? My best bit was the description of Archie, actually. Oh, something nice. that you brought up. Yeah. That was the bit that I truly enjoyed the most. It was not hard for me to believe that Archie was a vampire. His eyes glittered like black diamonds. He sounds cool. I'm excited to get to know Archie more. So it's burning question time. I always feel so nervous. Well, it's because, you know, it's gospel. The minute you say it, it's out there in the universe and it's true. It's the truth. You're letting people know the truth, the tea. So imagine you are Bo opening the door to your first proper alone date with Edith. You open the door and you are wearing the same outfit. Do you think you should then change? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this is a loaded question and you have a correct answer in mind. (laughs) For this date, no. Interesting, why? Because we're going to a meadow. But you don't know that. What do I know? You know nothing. You know that you're going to get in the truck and she's going to tell you where to drive. But I know that she's going to show me her skin in the sunlight and I know that she wouldn't do that around other humans. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to the beach, that you're not going, I don't know, on a plane, you're not going to our house. I know that wherever we're going, we're not going to be seen. I think I would have deduced that. 
I don't. Mm, I don't know. You got me second guessing. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's not necessary because they are not exactly the same clothes. Because I can't afford her clothes. <laughs> So yeah, it's a bit matchy-matchy, it's awkward, but it's funny. I think that you would look like more of a fool if you were like, oh, we're matching, I'm going to need to change. If you were going out, if you were going out to dinner or out to a party, I would understand more of like, oh, this is going to be a bit much for people to see us. We don't want people to think that we planned to dress as a matching couple. But if it was a genuine accident, your first date, you want to make an impression of being laid back and all of that, I would stay in the outfit. Okay. Am I wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You would change. Yeah, but I've been in relationships before where we'll have gotten dressed, then look at each other. I'm wearing a striped dress, you're wearing a striped shirt. And so do you change? Well, then the man usually goes, well, you need to change. And I go, well, no, you need to change. And then they'll go, well, actually, this is the only thing I've packed. This is a very specific example. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I I would say fine but it's more annoying because I planned my outfits the day before well but then so would he if it's all he'd packed (sighs) but I styled my makeup and hair and my hairbands to the outfit and then you have to change it so why not just match well that's what I said oh but the man would insist insist that something needs to change and it's usually me no Mm. never change never be the one to change (laughs) unless you want to when we're all allowed outside again and into social situations, then we'll all just be so happy to be out. You know, embrace the quirkiness of like, oh, we're matching. And then at least you've got something to break the awkward silence with all the other boring couples you're hanging out with by saying like, we didn't plan this. Can you believe we didn't plan this? And everyone will go, they're quirky. <laughs> no, your friends will be like, mm, they totally planned this. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for chapter 12 of Life and Death. Join us next week for chapter 13, Confessions. You can find us on social media by searching at ForksCast. And you can rate, review and subscribe to What the Forks wherever you listen. Until next time, take care. And remember, Charlie can chew me out any time. <laughs>